Welcome to Flyers AD here. It is Friday, July 1, 2022 here. One week away, I guess six days away from uh, the draft. It starts Thursday night up in Montreal and Anthony will be there live. Are you there as a fan or are you there as a uh, journalist? I will be there as a journalist, actually. I, You know, I was talking about that with some buddies yesterday. We were out at a, at a local pub, and they were saying, like, why the hell would you go pay to be a fan there? <laughs> like, you literally go, they announce something, and then nothing gets said for 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, it's, um, uh, I, you know, I'm going there, obviously, for work, and, you know, I have, you know, obligations to be there. But, I mean, as a fan, I don't know why anyone would go. But, yes, I will be there live. I haven't got myself a hotel down there to feel like a big shot, but mostly <laughs> just because I live half an hour outside downtown Montreal and I'm way too lazy to com- commute back and forth. But, yeah, it's certainly going to be a good time. But on your on your side of things, would you ever pay to go to the draft as a fan, honestly? I don't think so. <laughs> if the off chance that I knew somebody that was going to get drafted, maybe – but just like if it just comes, if it came back to Philadelphia, I don't think I'd buy a ticket to go sit in the stand and watch a bunch of random kids get drafted and then sit there for 25 minutes and twiddle my thumbs in between picks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. Uh, and even at, especially after the first 10 picks, when everyone realizes there's not going to be a blockbuster trade, even though every year we think there's going to be a blockbuster trade, and then everyone's shocked that everyone just kept their pick, and then the trade <laughs> is announced. It's just like, Team X has traded their 18th overall pick for the 22nd overall pick and a 40th round pick mm-hmm. in seven years from now. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, what? McDavid wasn't traded? What the hell? <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> Well, we were originally going to record this show earlier in the morning, and then some scheduling conflicts happened, and we did not. And it's a good thing we waited, because we had a little bit of uh, concerning Flyers news, and that is Ivan Fedotov has apparently been detained in Russia, um, charges of draft dodging. He played for CSK Moscow last year, which I believe used to be associated with the military. I'm not sure if they're directly tied anymore. But um, that's not good, uh, both for Fedotov and the Flyers. Um, the situation's relatively new. I believe this news just broke within the last hour or two here, so I don't think there's a whole lot of details yet. But um, that's, uh, this is a rather concerning development here, both for the person and for uh, the, 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 the Flyers goaltending this year. Well, yeah, like, I mean... Obviously, very fresh news. So the best of my understanding, well, you can maybe just clear it up, is that he was supposed to be drafted to the military and he avoided it to this point. That's what it sounds like, yeah. So, look, that that's definitely scary stuff. You know, anything relating to Russia nowadays kind of seems to be scary and polarizing, for lack of better terms. But um, from a hockey perspective, I mean, he's a guy that I think has the inside track to be their starting uh, their backup goaltender next year i know fletcher kind of left the door open for a veteran backup but with the re-signing of felix sandstrom which i was told back in may that the plan was still to re-sign him i think it's gonna come down to one of those two guys and based on what fedotov did in the uh, khl last year the last two years and in the olympics i would assume he is the front runner 
And I think that if this becomes a more permanent thing or a more serious matter, it would certainly complicate things for the Flyers. I think, you know, they're a team that doesn't have a lot of cap space heading into the summer. That's certainly going to be an obstacle for them, I know for a fact. And, you know, one of the things that was helping them a bit was the fact that they were going to be paying their backup goaltender, what, $900,000? Yeah. So if he can't go... I mean, I suppose you could maybe just roll with Sonstrom and sign like a veteran guy to play in the AHL with uh, with Samuel Urson, or maybe you is Ustamenko an RFA this he summer? He is an RFA, yes. I don't know. Maybe you re-sign Ustamenko, but even at that, I you still need a guy in the ECHL as well. And another thing that's kind of concerning is the guy that they drafted last year, Kolosov. He's Russian as well, so like, yep. will there be issues with him? So, yeah, it's a very uh, scary situation in terms of uh, the person, and it's a very unfortunate situation in terms of the player. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know much about Russia and their you know stuff with this, but I know even in America, this is a relatively serious charge even today. Um, you have to sign up for the draft. If it would, if uh, if it were to ever occur when you're 18, and if you don't, I believe it's like five years mandatory jail time or something, and that's here in America. You know, Christ knows what's happening in Russia over there for this. Is obviously they're uh, at war right now, and uh, you know, it's apparently it was the team that turned them in. They they tipped them off that uh, that uh, this was going on. So all kinds of shady stuff. Um, I assume we'll hear more on this. Probably just in the next few days at this point, but um, you know, hopefully they can figure something out both for you know Fedotov's sake and, and the team. But man, this is a uh, it's got to be a uh, scary situation over there for for this guy and quite frankly, a lot of the Russian players. I think the Athletic put a piece out about this a couple days ago about you know it may be difficult for a lot of the guys to to leave to come back to you know North America when uh, when the season starts. So. To be a situation not only for Fedotov, but for every Russian player that's over there right now to uh, see if they can uh, make it back to North America safely. And the other part about this is, is the guy who's supposed to go second overall next year, Michkov, you know, like, what does that mean for him? And what does it mean for any Russian player with, you know, aspirations to play in North America? It's just, you know, obviously we don't like to talk anything, you know, political on this show, although yeah. that kind of supersedes politics. It's kind of just like a worldwide issue. But, I mean, when you think about it for, like, players who, like, I mean, you don't know what's going on in their heads, how they feel personally about these issues. But, like, you have to imagine that for at least some of these guys, all they want to do is live their dream and play hockey. You know, like Alex Ovechkin or Pavel Datsuk or Nikita Kucherov, Vasilevsky, Provorov, all these Russian players who have had success in the NHL. And you have this obstacle kind of put in front of them. And again, we don't we can't speak for anyone. I'm not going to pretend to know how some players feel or how their political views are aligned. And I don't like to touch that at all. But just all in all, a very um, a very unfortunate situation. And you got to feel for the person, right, that, uh, you know, his uh, his career is kind of being blocked by uh, real life issues. Yeah. So. We shall see how the situation pans out. We'll, you know, update more as we uh, hear more. Again, a very fresh story that just broke. Um, so, here we go.
we go. Ivan Fedotov, the Flyers prospect, has been arrested in Moscow for draft evasion. His crime was wanting to go to the NHL and thus displeasing his CSKA bosses. His punishment will be going to the military, perhaps even to the war. Well, that's not good. <laughs> My God. It, it's it's very... Yeah, it's... Uh, I can't even imagine it, right? You know, it's like we live in a completely different world. And I guess we kind of do, to be honest. But, I mean, it's just... This guy's how old? 25, 26? 25, yeah. You know, he's younger than me. And I'd be scared shitless if that shit happened to me. Yeah. But I, I, it's it sucks, right? Because clearly this guy has a bright future ahead of him. And, I mean, if we just focus more on, like, the hockey aspect of it, you know... Do you think that this changes anything for the Flyers if it becomes more of a permanent issue? I I would assume so. I mean, as you alluded to, this guy probably was going to be the backup, provided he didn't stumble coming to North American ice. Um, you did re-sign Sonstrom, which is a good safety net there, but... You know, what they do with the backup goaltending was always going to be interesting. Um... Fletcher at his press the other day alluded to potentially looking for a backup in the summer, you know, kind of somebody else. And God, I fucking hate that idea because you've got so many bodies here already that I don't think you need somebody else, even if it's an AHL guy. You know, you got Urson hanging around who will theoretically, if everyone's healthy, would probably start the season in the ECHL on a rehab assignment just because he missed all of last year uh, before getting bumped up to the A. But it should be Hart, Fedotov, Sonstrom, Urson, and whether or not they resign Ustaminko or whoever the fuck else, you know, some other random ECHL guy. They burned through about six of them this year. So, yeah, I don't know. This could change it. I mean, they still have Sonstrom around who should theoretically be getting a good look at the backup role um, because of what he did. But, I guess if this becomes more serious and he's off the table this year, then uh, they may need to, whether it's Martin Jones or somebody else, kind of look into, uh, you know, potential uh, <laughs> another man in the crease to start the year because uh, they clearly don't, uh, not going to have access to Fedotov, maybe. We'll see. Yeah, and one of the guys that I thought that maybe would have been a good fit had they gone down the veteran backup route was Scott Wedgwood, and he just re-signed with Dallas for a million bucks and I thought Wedgwood would have been a good option if they wanted a veteran guy but like you look at some of the options here on the free agent market like a Thomas Grice uh Martin Jones obviously Brayden Holpe I, I kind of have a feeling he's going back to Washington when that makes some level of sense you know Yarrow Halak David Riddick like I mean there's not a whole lot of options here and I mean, I guess you would have to sign a guy, like, even if you roll with Sonstrom, like, you would assume that they at least have to sign a guy to battle with and at least provide some depth behind Urson at the ECHL or at the AHL level. So, like, I don't know if maybe they go, they would sign, like, a, a Malcolm Subban to kind of check that box. Obviously, I don't think he's an AHL goaltender, but if he has to kind of slot in as your number three behind Sonstrom and Hart, like... I don't know. I, I just look at the, I guess, a Keith Kincaid as well. I, I just look at the options here on the open market. And I mean, unless you want to like pay a guy like two, three million dollars, like a, how would you say, like a Holtby or even a Casey DeSmith, like, I don't think there's a lot of options in terms of getting something with a decent cost of like a million bucks or less. So, I mean, if Fedotov can't go, 
I would say just go with Sancho and maybe sign a guy like Subban or Keith Kincaid as the guy to be the number three with Urson down in uh, Lehigh. That would theoretically be the plan. I think you need your new Alex Lyon, you know, third string yeah. guy who's going to play a lot of time in the AHL and can get a spot start in the NHL if necessary. Um, you know, I mean, it, listen, if Hart's playing good, which, you know, he has, he uh, which he did last year and has in the past, you know, if he's on his game, then theoretically Sandstrom's only going to need to play once every two weeks anyway, right? So, you know, as long as Hart's playing well and Sandstrom can do a reasonable job holding down the fort, you should be fine signing a, a Subban or somebody along those lines as mm-hmm. just a, an insurance plan, you know, down the depth charts in case anything happens. But, uh, yeah, in, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, Fedotov is there. This could have been his uh, could have been his opportunity, and, and by all accounts, he's a very good goaltender. And obviously, the transition to North America would have uh, been the real test here. But you know, it's also good news for Sonstrom. I guess he gets the opportunity to uh, earn the NHL backup spot after he was just treated like shit at the end of last season by this fucking organization. Um, you know, this may be maybe his time to uh, rise and uh, you know earn an NHL spot once and for all. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Sonstrom, and, like, I I just don't know how much... Like, I know everyone thinks that the Flyers are going to, like, you know, empty the cupboards this summer to try and, like, win now and aggressive retool, so they're going to try and keep going for Stanley Cup, but, like, I don't know if that's really the case. Like, I've long thought, and a lot when Fletcher said that it might be more like the summer of 2019 where he added guys without really giving up future assets, I don't really know how hard they're going to go for it this year. You know, like I speculated yesterday with Jason on Stick to Hockey that like maybe this is going to be more of like a setting the standard year where Tortorella comes in and he finally is the guy to decide like who's part of the solution and who's part of the problem. Like, can guys like Konechny and Provorov, you know, refine their prior forms under him? And is a guy like Morgan Frost going to be able to sink or swim with Tortorella? And I just think that maybe 2023, 24 is the year where they really go for it. And if that's the case, like, what would be the harm in just rolling with a heart and a Sandstrom? Like, I mean, was Martin Jones that much better than Felix Sandstrom last year? No. Like, again, I'm I'm not saying that you have to not sign anyone if you're rolling with Sandstrom and Fedotov isn't available to you I would 100% suggest that you should sign a Subban or if you want to go more of a veteran road like a Kincaid to at least give yourself some depth but like I don't know if they really see this year as like a sink or swings year year for the organization where they have to have a veteran backup I don't think you have to. And again, I was incredibly frustrated with the way they handled Sonstrom towards the end of last season. Um, basically, just when, when Hart got hurt, they ran with Jones and Sonstrom was the backup. He would get called up to the team to back up that night and then sent back down to the Phantoms to start for them. And uh, it was just it was handled very poorly in a situation where you should have been giving the ice time to Sonstrom to see what he had at the NHL level, right? And now you're going into this year saying, well, we don't know if Sonstrom can be a backup because you didn't give him any time last year to figure it out, right? So I would think it's his job to lose at this point. I would not be surprised, especially now with Fedotov being kind of up in the air, if they do sign another body. Um, but I don't think there's a reason to aim for a NHL backup 
per se. You know, I don't think you need Martin Jones back. I think you could settle for a Subban or a Kincaid or somebody along those lines, a legitimate, like, number three option, um, and just let Hart and Sonstrom do their thing. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't think Sonstrom's going to be seeing a ton of time anyway, provided that, you know, Hart's good to go. Um, so it really shouldn't matter. And just, you know, let him see what he's got. There's, I, I just don't see a reason to bring in a Holtby or something like that this year. I think you're kind of past that point you know you you're hoarding all these goaltending prospects it's time to start seeing what they're made out of yeah and I think like this is a good year to do it like I don't think that this should be like a summer where they add nobody like I think they have to add a defenseman you You have to build a foundation this summer a hundred percent which we'll talk about in a few minutes here don't don't worry about that (laughs) but like you know you have to build bring in some veteran guys and I think that you have to improve the roster but I mean as well and i know people don't want to hear this but let's be real here like they were never healthy last year especially down the middle and i'm curious to see with a coach like tortorella who's going to help instill accountability i know i've said this a lot i don't mean to kick rocks at him on the way out but like with Giroux gone that you have a brand new like face of the franchise or an opportunity for that I would like to see what a healthy roster could do, even if it's just with like an acquisition of a Matthew Dumba, someone like that, or, you know, a depth centerman. Like I haven't looked really at a lot of options yet. I was thinking about Nick Paul, but he just got re-signed today in Tampa Bay. But I would be curious to see, like, would it be far-fetched to say that, like, assuming you have more or less a healthy team and a Matthew Dumba type of acquisition that this could maybe like make the playoffs and be a hard out. And this is something San Felipe talked about last week when he was on the show. Like, provided this roster is relatively healthy and John Tortorella at the helm, they're going to be better just off of merit, right? If Kateri comes back and he's at least semi-capable and Hayes is good to go to start the year. Now, that takes a hit with Farabee on the shelf, which we can touch upon. And then Ellis is obviously still TBD. Um... But overall, provided that you're not, you know, your top five centers aren't injured and, you know, just the, the, the amount of injuries last season was absolutely ridiculous. Provided you have at least some good luck when it comes to the injury bug and everyone on the current roster stays relatively healthy, you know, this is not going to be a top or a bottom four team anymore. You know, you're going to you're going to finish outside the top 10 is my guess um, as far as draft goes. So. You know, whether they're a playoff team or not, I would doubt it, especially before they make any moves. Maybe we'll revisit that question in uh, two, three weeks' time, but uh, I would think they could probably hang, ironically enough, back in the kind of Columbus role, where they're, you know, threatening for a wild card spot, but maybe not going to make the playoffs, not actually going to get there, um, provided they don't make any changes. Which you know we will, we will see over the next few weeks what they do. But this roster, as healthy, I think, could at least be you know a slightly below middle of the pack team. And if you add, like, let's say you don't give up any assets, which I don't think they want to do. They don't want to give up like any of their prospects, which I don't think they want to do. Is that a bad approach for this year? It's delaying what's ultimately going to have to happen. If you don't want to give up any assets this year, then what the hell are we going to do next year when it's time to make an addition? Are we going to give up assets then, or are we going to be afraid of it? Yeah, I, I well, I meant more in the way to like give up 
like to, to clear cap space type of thing. I like oh, this JVR thing. Is that what we're getting at here? <laughs> okay. Well, like, look, like, uh, look, they, they want to move JVR. I think Limblom may have been saved by the Farabee injury, which I don't disagree with because I know that they feel like they don't have enough left wingers. You know, is Giroux gone? Farabee injured. Lawton is a left wing, but like can play center. And uh, they do want to add a centerman too, but this is all providing they have the cap space. And I, I think where they're at with JVR is that I look, to be honest, I think that they will eventually move him. It's just I think that they're trying to do everything in their power not to give up a draft pick to do so. And look, I, I would not give up a draft pick. Like, I think for them, like they have to weigh is like, do they have maybe like a prospect that is worth parting with to get rid of JVR? And I like for you, like, would it be imperative under any circumstance to get rid of them? Your entire offseason hinders on clearing JVR's contract. Plain and simple. And this is where, like, listen, if the fans want to sit here and want to complain about giving up draft picks and are afraid to move the guy, giving up assets, that's one thing. But when the fucking organization's afraid to do it, it's like, holy shit. You know, you can't buy him out because it's less than $3 million. It's a complete waste yeah, of fucking time. Doesn't but, make sense. You know, I've heard people say, well, they can retain half of a salary. That's $3.5 million. What the fuck is $3.5 million going to do for you this summer? Nothing. You know, San Filippo, when he was on the show last week, mentioned retaining $2 million, which is, you know, $5 million in free cap, which is better, but it's... I just... Fuck. You have three third-round picks next season in 2023. What the fuck is the harm of putting one of them with JVR if it means clearing $7 million? $7 million is a substantial chunk of money. That is the difference between Johnny Gaudreau and no Johnny Gaudreau. Or Alex Debrincat and no Alex Debrincat. Or Philip Forsberg and no Philip Forsberg. Or even a Dumba. Or Matt Dumba or whoever the fuck, you know, whatever. Whatever position, whatever player. Like, $7 million is substantial. Three and a half, they've got, uh, what, 5.1. A hair over 5.1 million in projected cap space right now. You know, you had $3 million onto that. You may not even be able to afford fucking Johnny Gaudreau, you know? It's just, it's such a gigantic chunk of money that I, I just, I don't, I wouldn't partner a first round pick with him. I think those rumors are pretty much dead. But, you know, a few weeks ago, was, oh, they're going to partner one of the 2024 firsts with him. You know, like, I don't think that, I don't think you need to go to that extremes. But fuck, what's it going to hurt doing that? Like, I just don't. I, I get in a perfect world you don't want to do that, but it's if he was making like five million dollars, okay, fine. You know, maybe don't give up a draft pick for it. But seven million dollars is the kind of money that can go a long way to overhauling the franchise this year. And if you get stuck retaining JVR, or if you have to keep half of his cap to make a trade happen, like you may as well just keep him on the fucking roster. I, I just don't understand what the the hesitation is here. It's seven million dollars. It's such a, I don't know, this whole thing, I was so fucking furious when you tweeted that out yesterday that they were afraid to, you know, lose an asset or two in this trade, and I, I get it, it's not ideal, but holy shit, like, that, that, that is franchise-altering money in a year when you need to alter the franchise. Well, this is, like, so we agree that you're not going to give up a first-round pick to do it, right? No. So but I don't think you have to. Well, well, that's what, I, I think that, I think right now, a lot of teams like we know the culprits, Arizona, Seattle, maybe Buffalo. Those are the those are the ones that 
are trying to accumulate assets by taking on bad contracts. Sure. And they don't have a second round pick in each of the next two years. So that's out the window. The third rounders next, like if I'm them personally, I'm looking to give up one of the fourth rounders next year because they have two. They have their own and the one from Edmonton that they got for Derek Broussard. Yes. That's what I'm trying to do. Now, and that's again, fine. Who gives a shit? You know? <laughs> and look, and look, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, do I think that JVR will be a flyer in the in the summer? Or, I mean, in the fall? I would say there's a 30% chance he is. If, let's say, people... <laughs> that's 30% too much! Well, that's true. But <laughs> I, I just... I think it's because a lot of these teams are playing hardball right now. Yeah. And I think that at the draft, it's going to fast-track it. But, I mean, based from my understanding, and we could talk about Limblom in a bit, too is that they're just not going to, like, piss away assets for any reason. And I think that at least that's a good approach that they're not going to... Because I, I don't think that this year you could, like, afford to give up, like, a third-round pick because you don't have the second-round pick this year. But, like, if you could get a team to take them for one of the thirds in 2023 or preferably the fourth, which I ultimately do assume will come to fruition in some way... I just think that at least they're not willing to do it at any cost. Uh, you know, like, I've still thought for whatever reason, like, if you took that Florida first-round pick in 2024 and packaged it with him and got a second-round pick next year, I still think that's something I would consider. But I don't think that, like, I haven't heard that. That's just me speculating. And I know you're giving up a first and going to a second, and I get that, but just based on how good next year's supposed to be and how helpful that money would be as you alluded to but i mean like i guess more on the limblom thing do you and you were never a huge proponent of buying him out but do you think that now that Faraby might be out until december that's what i was told yesterday they're expecting him out till december do you think that helps limblom's case it's it's interesting like Faraby being i i basically i tweeted the other day i don't expect to see him back before american thanksgiving which is the end of november which would you know, makes sense. Um, you just, I would assume that it helps his case a little bit because he is one of the only natural left wingers you have right now. And Farabee was both, but you know, Konechny is predominantly on the right. Atkinson's predominantly on the right. You know, GVR was the only other, I think lefty, you know, full time on the team. Noah Cates is on the left. So that may help his case, but I don't know. You've got so many goddamn wingers on this team. And unfortunately, most of them are, you know, natural right side guys, but I don't know. Could you call up Wade Allison and just tuck him on the left? You know, like Forster does most of his offensive damage from the left. It just, I don't, I don't know if he makes the NHL next season or not, but I don't know. I feel like you could mix and match a little bit more on the wing and you have so many fucking wingers that provided one of them would volunteer to be on the left, or you force one of them to play on the left, I don't think you need Lindblom. I would, I do assume that he's probably safe now because of it, but at the same time, like, I don't know. You got a lot of wingers. What the hell's the problem with giving, you know, Wade Allison a shot on that top line? Or, well, maybe not top line, just in the NHL in general, or something along those lines. You know, I, I, I don't know. I would assume he's safe, but... You're talking about Limblom, though? Yeah, I would assume Limblom is safe. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, what role is he going... Is he just going to be, like, plopped on the third line, or are they going to use him in the top six now because Farabee's out? Well, you know, I have heard one thing 
uh, that I did agree with because I agreed that before the Farabee injury that it made no, I mean, it, it was kind of like a slam dunk to buy him out because of how advantageous yeah. that buyout was on the cap. But I did hear a lot of people say like he really seems like a player that Tortorella would that would excel under John Tortorella. And I agree. Yeah, with I would that. agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's a very fair assumption. But again, like, where do you use him? Are you going to try and go back to the well with Katoria and Kadetni? Are you going <laughs> to? In my opinion, I think he would probably be best off on the left wing with um, Hayes and Atkinson. That's where I would put him. Because I that was the spot that I envisioned for Farabee. Because Farabee had played a lot with... I think he had played a lot with Kevin Hayes, too, historically. Uh, he was on that line with Allison. And, line, yeah. and, then, and then you had him with Atkinson almost all year. So I think Farabee, Hayes, and Atkinson was a line that I thought they would go with. So who was on but the now, top line, left wing? Well, that that's the big thing. And I know they want to add a top... They want to add a left winger. They, that's what they want. They have a wish list. They want a right shot D. They have a center and a left wing. You're about three that's right shot they, D at this point, but all right. Yeah, three right, right, right <laughs> shot D. But I think it's like, where do you kind of rate them in a pecking order? I think that the center, unfortunately, is probably at the bottom because you have Lawton and you have Frost who could theoretically be passable. And you, you know what? <laughs> I... Are you not thrilled to see how Morgan Frost is going to do under Tortorella? I, I'm, I'm curious. That's uh, for sure. Like, I don't all, think it's going to go well for the kid. Let's put it that way. <laughs> if, if all things remain equal, I would say that your third line opening night is probably Lawton, Frost, and Tippett. I realize we have a lot of holes to fill this summer and very limited money and assets to do it, but like. We're really going to roll back into this year with Sean Couturier, Kevin Hayes, and Morgan Frost as your one, two, three C. Have we not learned anything over the last few years? Yeah, I uh, <sighs> look, I, I agree with you, man. I, I agree. My like, optimism. I was the most fucking optimistic motherfucker in the world for the last two months, and I'm sitting here, and as we draw closer and closer, my hopes and dreams are dying. I just JVR is going to be here and they're going to resign him next summer and connecting here to the end of time. And Morgan Frost is going to be 36 years old and, but still he's got the potential. We can roll with him. Nothing's Uh, ever going to change. Yeah. But look, I mean, things they're exploring options. So maybe they flip Travis Konechny for a centerman. I mean, I think he's the guy to do it. If there's any guy they have on their roster that could be flipped for a centerman, it's him. It's him and Morgan Frost. Those are the two guys that you have to use as currency. I think right now is like, look, if you look at the free agency, none of the centers really interest me. No, How about you? None whatsoever. The guy to me that is kind of interesting, which you brought up, is Dylan Strom. Oh, I like Dylan Strom. So Dylan Strom, like if like if you can maybe get him for, and I don't know what his contract is. I'll pull He's it up now. He's making three million a year. I don't know for how many years. So three million a year. So you would have to like that. And again, this is all speculative, but like if you, oh, he's an RFA now. Yes. So he's an RFA. So what I would assume is like, let's say you, you would, and again, all speculative, something along the lines of you send them JVR, 
and Morgan Frost and let's say a fourth round pick in next year's draft for Dylan Strom. That's something I could see. Yeah. I I think that is something that would have to make the Flyers creative or would they have to get creative like that? Because I think that if you're just trying to dump JVR akin to what we saw with Goss's spear last year, you're going to give up to exactly. But if you package him and you say, look, you're getting a draft pick, you're getting a a centerman with potential as we all know. um, And then you also take the one year of JVR. I don't think the cap is that big of an issue for the Blackhawks. No, it's not. They're rebuilding. Who gives a shit? They don't have their first round pick this year. Holy shit. I just realized that. Um, So who does? It's Columbus. Columbus? Go, yeah, Seth, Seth Jones. Jones. Yeah. What a dumb. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> but uh, that that did not make sense. But nothing about the Blackhawks really makes sense right now. So I mean, I think like that is something that would go a long way for this team. Yeah. You got So <laughs> you got a lot of holes, and you know, unfortunately, center is just another one of those fucking holes at this point. But uh, man. Katari Hayes and Morgan Frost just uh doesn't do it for me especially if you're not gonna hit a home run addition on the wing or multiple home run additions on the wings if you're just gonna roll back predominantly with Atkinson and Konechny again uh yeah I think you're screwed you may want to uh kind of address your center depth there and defensive depth and winger depth and maybe your goaltending depth now that you don't have that but uh you know just you know that's all they need though just address all those major holes and they'll be fun would you rather go all in on a guy like Goudreau or Forsberg or bring in Strom and Dumba? Hmm. It's interesting, huh? Theoretically, I want him to do both, but... Uh... <sighs> it's like the fan in you says Goudreau to have the high-end talent, but like the objective journalist says, you know, kill two birds with one stone type Pretty of thing. Pretty much, yeah. It's just uh, with Doomba, he makes six million dollars this year for one more year. One more year, you would assume that, and I don't know what the ask is going to be. Like, yeah, I feel I've like... been wondering that myself about Doomba. Is I wonder how they value somebody like him. And I mean, they don't have a lot of cap space. No. At so, <laughs> and then if you look in the free agent pool. Like, if you free up that cap money, I mean... John I Klingberg. John Klingberg. I mean, I feel like he's going to get paid, though. Probably. Ethan Bear would be uh, my personal choice. Ethan Bear. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, I'm looking at, like, right shot D. I mean, Josh Manson, but I feel like he's going to get paid. i take Josh Colin Manson. Miller wouldn't be terrible. Oh, <laughs> Flyers legend Colin Miller. Yeah, I mean, Strolling so back like, to town. but do you think that there's any way that they would be able to free up enough cap space to go after a big name guy? Well, you need to clear all of JVR's seven million dollars, and probably ditch Lindblom as well, and flip Konechny in some kind of other trade. But yeah, if the, here's the thing, I believe thoroughly if they put their heart and soul into it, you could create enough cap and you can be creative enough to truly overhaul this franchise this summer if you really wanted to. All of the talent that's available, even potentially available, is insane. You know, you could do it, but it's about 
whether or not you want to completely overturn the franchise. Do you risk parting ways with quite a few of your current players and trading your picks and prospects of which you don't have many of, you know, that are any kind of concern? And, you know, if you land Forsberg and Debrincat and also, you know, get Bear and Doomba, like, that's huge. And I don't think that's impossible. You know, it's unlikely, but it's 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 not impossible to clear enough cap and maneuver around this stuff to build a real competitive team. It's just, I don't have any faith in them doing that. And especially when we hear things like, we're terrified it's moving JVR. Like, fuck it. They clearly don't have the goddamn creativity to do that. And this is the one thing that infuriates me more than anything is, you know, the organization chose not to rebuild. We don't want to rebuild. Okay, great. Like, you don't have to rebuild. I can get on board with not rebuilding, but if you're not going to rebuild, then you need to do everything that you have to do in order to put a competitive team on the ice next season. And I don't feel as though that's going to happen. They're going to cheap out or they're going to not go after this guy. Well, Gaudreau's going to be, you know, we're priced out of Gaudreau and we didn't want to give up the assets for Debrincat and Forsberg didn't want to come here and all. Like, that's like, the fucking story we're going to hear in three weeks from now. And it infuriates me knowing that. You know, I hope they do a good job. I hope I'm proven wrong in a few weeks. My optimism is just completely fucking gone for the offseason. But, like, I don't know. It's just, I don't understand how you can choose against a rebuild, but also don't want to get better. That's the worst fucking thing you can do. And I listen, I would agree that this is a prove-it kind of year. You know, kind of the transition year, the first year of Like, Tortorella. not to be trading, like, first-round picks and shit Sure. Like that. You know, I, like, I, I, I understand that theory, and I would agree with that. Like, I don't think, you know, this is a Stanley Cup-caliber team in one season, and you can kind of figure everything out, and, you know, the free agent pool next year is gigantic at this point. You know, you... There are parts of waiting, but to me, that doesn't mean don't do anything. Because it's something we've heard for years now, which is, well, if they're not ready for a cup, then we don't want to add this guy. You know, add Debrincat this year, and then next year add Larkin and Huberdo. You know what I mean? Like, you can do this in parts, but you have to progressively get better this year. And the fact that we're still sitting here one foot in and one foot out of trying to get better, or trying to rebuild, or picking a goddamn direction at all, it's just, god damn it, man. How, I, I don't know. I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope they make all these big moves and we're sitting here looking at a great fucking roster in two weeks, but... I don't know. The well, fact that we can't I mean, even if you're in a JVR without fucking, you know, pussyfooting around. Just, ah, stupid team. Well, well, like, let's say if you added, let's say, Ethan Bear and Dylan Strom this summer and you clear JVR and you move Morgan Frost and move for Dylan Strom, would that would that to you say like, would that give you optimism? Like, would you be yeah. happy with that? I'd be, listen, actually, I would be totally fine with that. I, I think if you're not going to add big name talent and miss out on some of the top guys, I think finding those under the radar guys, the Dylan Stroms, the Ethan Bears, the Jesse Pulley-Arvies, that should be pretty high on your list. You know, if you're not going to bring me Forsberg, bring me the guys that are younger, that have the potential, that are kind of on the outs with their current team to come in and kind of take on as a reclamation project. I would be totally fine with that approach, yes. If you could land me Bear and Strom and Pooley RV, and I forget who the other fucking guy I wrote about was the other day, but, you know, the people like that, I would be fine taking on a lot of those, you know, RFAs and re-signing them and, and using them to kind of 
boost the team's current age and you kind of work through it, you know, they're not going to be quite as great as Goudreau, but it's hope, it's fresh faces, they're fit with your age group, and there's a chance to have serious potential there if you can figure out how to unlock it. Yeah, and I would agree with that because as much as I do want to add a big name this summer, the guys next summer are just so much more appealing. Yeah. Like, Dylan Larkin, to me, is the guy that, like, if he is still an unrestricted free agent next summer, like, you just have to go full steam ahead for the damn guy. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, I doubt this, and he's an RFA, but, like, if Matthew Barzell somehow got available, like, I doubt it, but, like, or Jonathan Huberdo, like, although he would, my God, he's already 30 years old. Where does the time go? <laughs> but, or, like, even a guy like Bo Horvat, like, I just think that next year is the better year to go like, okay, we're going to make that Chris Pronger type of addition or we're going to make that Danny Briere type of addition. I think that this year you kind of need to, and Chuck Fletcher said it, like I think that you need to have a 2019-esque offseason where you make subtle but impactful ads where you make the team better. Remember, like, Nobody was excited about the 2019 offseason. I remember you keep saying it like he made the team better. Yeah. And I think that's what you're looking for again, right? I want noticeable improvements. Yes. I want I I would love the big name guys, but as we just talked about, if you can get Dylan Strom, like he may not be the best player in the world, but you know, he's proven he can hang in the NHL. He never really had a shot in Chicago under Jeremy coalition or whatever the fuck his last name was like, (laughs) you know, you can get quickly. Was he the most irrelevant coach you've ever seen? I think so. Yeah. Certainly off the top (laughs) of my head anyway, but uh, you know, if you can get somebody like that and just throw him in here, like he's more experienced than strong or more experienced than frost more. Like he just, he feels like a guy that could succeed, you know, that, that that isn't doing well on his current team. And he did that once Coalition got fired this year and he showed up the last <laughs> few months of the season. He was looking great, you know. And granted, he probably rode shotgun with Patrick Kane through most of that time. But still, you know, you can figure that kind of stuff out and take that shot. And Jesse Pulley-Arvey, you know, just a lot of those young guys, that I would be totally fine with. If you miss out on Forsberg or that guy, but you bring me Bear, Pugliarvi, and Strom to inject into this current team and replace Travis Konechny and JVR with those guys, like, that's a step in the right direction. I'd, I'd take that just as much as I would take, you know, Forsberg and, and Alex Dabrinkat. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good way to look at it. And, like, I mean, there there's guys here that, like, even, like, a, you know, Dave Pagnotta just tweeted out that there's nothing close with Jan Ruda in Tampa. Like, he's a guy that I would look for. Like, I you can't just roll, run it back. I don't think they will. Like, they can't. Like, I, I think that right now they're slow playing it because they don't want to gut, uh, like, all of their assets. But, I mean, like, you have to make tangible improvements. Like, you have to. Like, the roster isn't good enough. Like, yes, is a healthy... Hayes and a healthy Couturier going to do wonders for this team? Yeah, of course. But Farabee's out. Who the fuck knows what's going on with Ryan Ellis? I mean, what's your read on that situation? I was, uh, I guess, optimistic for a little while there. And then San Flebo came on last week and basically said, yeah, we haven't heard from him since. And uh, Fletcher the other day during his presser mentioned the same thing. Yeah, he's not skating yet. It's like, so this guy's not coming back. Right. <laughs> you know, certainly not to start the year, it doesn't sound like. Um, so it's a position you're going to have to address. And I would almost rather them get Doomba and Bear both at this yeah. point. Um, have Doomba play next to Provorov and have 
bear on the third pair with Cam York. I think you need to address the right side of the defense with some kind of legitimacy. Once um, and for all. Yeah. At least going into next year and then reassess next year. And then I think that's where you get lucky with Doomba is you only sign for one year. You know, if for some reason he takes a step back here, he starts to look every bit of 31 years old or however old he is, like, you can finally, you know, you don't have to commit to him long term, and Bear is young and up and coming, and he was very good, you know, back in his days in Edmonton, you know, things like that to kind of truly fix that hole, rather than bringing in, I don't even know, one person on the top right side, like overpaying for Klingberg or something, and then rolling with Nick Sealer and Cam York on the third pair. Like, it's a fucking horrible idea. You know, I think you, you gotta kind of fill out your defense with a little bit more legitimacy this year, especially with Tortorella back, right? Now that you've got a legitimate coach that knows how to, you know, run a team, I think giving him, you know, an actual defense to work with should be pretty high on the priority list this year. Um, So Doomba and Bear seem like two relatively interesting guys to fill that hole that are semi-cost effective, or at least not long-term commitments, and, you know, relatively young in Doomba's, or in Bear's case, rather, so... I, I I would be fine with that. Yeah. I obviously the Lightning are looking to dump Ryan McDonough. Is he a guy that you'd look at? <sighs> There's a part of me that says yes, just because I don't think the Flyers are in a position to turn down any kind of even relatively top defenseman. But he is a lefty, so I don't think you got unless you're hell bent on putting York on the right side. Or you want to run back with the Provorov-Sanheim experiment, which has never worked. <laughs> He's 33, four years left at, what, 6.1 or something like that? Yeesh. You know, that... I, I, hmm. If he was a righty, I'd fucking do it all day, you know, all day, every day. But I, I think because he's a lefty, you're just... You're in a weird spot there where... It's redundant. Yeah. And, you know, he's a guy that... I, I love Ryan McDonough. Like, I've often thought that, like... That's kind of like the ceiling for Ivan Provorov. Yeah, that I've always kind of thought like that is like the like best case scenario for uh, Provorov. But I'm just like I know everyone kind of poo-poos like the left-right thing, but like if you can't play the right side and you've never played it, it's pretty goddamn important. It, it is, and I remember <laughs> like I remember when the the Leafs acquired Jake Muzzin because them too they've had a hard time finding a partner for Morgan Riley, and they acquired Jake Muzzin, and the first thing they did is they put Jake Muzzin on the right side, and Jake Muzzin maybe not so much anymore, kind of declining a bit, a lot of injuries, hard miles, but when they acquired him, I believe in 2018, 2019, around there, maybe 2020, I don't know, the first thing they did was put him on the right side and that died in the cradle it didn't work and this is a guy who was on team canada you know very good defenseman but he made his living on the left side and look they now have a guy in tj brody who plays the right side and he is a left shot and look there are guys who historically have been able to do that Braden coburn was one of them uh he he always played the right side with chemo team or matt carl and I believe, or I'm not sure if it was Carl or Pronger who played the right side, but, you know, the Flyers historically have not had a lot of right shot defensemen. But, I mean, I also remember in the 2012 series against the Pittsburgh, Pe- or no, it was against the Devils, the Devils exposed the fact that the Flyers didn't have a right shot defenseman. The only right shot defenseman they had was Pavel Kabina, <laughs> because, 
And he wasn't, I remember he was like depressed coming to Philadelphia or something weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You remember that weird story? Yeah. He was like all sad. Yeah. And I remember that in that series, they exposed the Flyers of not having guys co- like comfortable playing on their right side. You had a guy like, um, who was playing on the on the right side with team and in? Because I remember, well, Grossman was playing with Coburn on the right side. But I think Coburn was playing on the right because he typically always did. Carl was playing and Mazaros, I think, was with Matt Carl playing on the right side. And Timonen was playing with, I forget now, was it, could it be Eric Gustafson? I think it was Eric Gustafson, yeah. Yeah, it was Eric Gustafson playing. And what did uh, Paul Holmgren do that summer? He went out and he signed Curtis Foster, Bruno Gervais, and <laughs> traded for Luke Shatton. He signed Eddie and oh, all right shot defensemen. That's what he did. Ugh. Now, Curtis Foster, three, Jesus Christ. He had a hell of a slap shot. That's all I remember about him. He was like eight but, feet tall. Yeah, and you're kind of defenseman, no? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but, and you saw that they did not have, and look, Foster and Gervais were inferior defensemen than Mazaros and even Eric Gustafson. But you saw a guy that was having trouble playing on the right side. And that's a very real thing. And if you go get Ryan McDonough and you try and force Cam York on the right side or Sanheim on the right side, or you try and force McDonough on the right side with Provorov, I just don't see how that solves anything. And he's another guy that kind of strikes me as like, how many hard miles does he have on his body? He's played a lot of hockey over the last two years. His contract isn't exactly amazing. So I, I, I don't know. Like, I think in theory it sounds good, but I'm not in a position to give up assets for a guy like Ryan McDonough and invest almost $7 million into him until he's 37 years old. Yeah. I think the only way that would even be relatively appealing is if they end up trading Provorov, which I still don't think is going to happen. But if that bridge is burned, you know, and they part with him, like, and you need you need a, a top four lefty, all right, fine. But, you know, if you're going to acquire him for the sole purpose of throwing him in his offside and, and letting him, it's just, it's just not worth it. I know some people can downplay the left and right D-man thing, but it's a very real issue you know some players just cannot play on their offside um some are fine but some aren't and and, you know york did play on the right uh towards the end of the season with Provorov, and he looked fine doing so i guess but i don't think you want your you know 21 year old stud defenseman you know to be playing on his offside longer than he has to you know you theoretically want him on the left doing his thing so i i would find an actual righty to fill that role if you can find a top defenseman who can play either side more power to you, I guess, that can be comfortable on the right next to Provorov. But considering you're looking for your top right-handed guy, you should find your top right-handed guy rather than finding a top lefty and forcing him to play on his offside because that's how you, you know, start going down here. And it's, it's the Sanheim experiment. You know, we can bump Sanheim up, but, you know, the reality is, like, he's a lefty. You know, he's never succeeded next to Provorov on the right for long periods of time. It's just, you know, let him stay on his left side. Don't force York on his offside this early in his career, let him develop on the left. And you just, you don't have any internal options either on this one. And, 
we'll see what happens at the draft. Even if they do draft one of the defensemen, what, Yurchek and Nemec, I would highly suspect neither one of them are going to be in the NHL next season. And your only interior guy right now is Wyatt Wiley, who, even though he improved last year, he's nowhere near NHL ready yet. So... It's a hole that you're going to need to address with some kind of legitimacy. You cannot sit here and go, well, we're just going to wait for Ryan Ellis to come back. Because that bitch in the fucking ass last year, don't make the same mistake twice. Find at least one legitimate guy and one legitimate depth guy to put in there. But like I said, I think I would much rather them just spend money on Doomba and Bear and kind of address that hole permanently rather than try and, you know, patch it up again like they did last year with guys like Nick Sealer. Because it's just, it's just not going to work. No, you you need someone, and even if it's like a last resort option, like Jeff Petrie, like would you, you have done JVR for Petrie? Look, I don't know how much truth there is to that. To be honest, like I I think that was kind of like a fan thought that gained steam. Um, but I would I have? Yeah, absolutely, of course. G- I, I still think Jeff Petrie's a top four defenseman any day of the week, and you'd be saving on the salary. It's just, I don't see how that makes sense for Montreal, because I feel like Petrie is going to be the fallback options for a lot of teams that don't get Klingberg, or for the Pittsburgh Penguins who lose Chris Letang. Like, even the... Um, even the Dallas Stars, like I could see the Dallas Stars training for Jeff Petrie when John Klingberg ne- inevitably walks in free agency. It's just I don't see how it's going to be a bad a bad contract for bad contract swap. Like I think Jeff Petrie is actually going to garner value on the trade front. Yeah, I would agree. I think if you put him with a competent lefty, um, he'd probably figure it out. Three years left at 6.2, he's 34. Um, so, you know, if you would go downhill, that contract would be absolutely brutal. Um, but, you know, I would assume if you put him on a competent defense that's not Montreal, you know, he'd probably still have some kind of useful miles out of him. But, yeah, I was baffled. Uh, you know, that was a, a theory that was thrown around quite a bit um, for the fans. I believe Sam Filippo mentioned it last week as well as, you know, maybe potentially have actually been talked about. But, uh, yeah, I find that one interesting. I don't think it's going to happen now. I think Montreal is going to... Uh, Probably find an actual suitor for him this year, but, uh, you know, I guess we shall see. Yeah, I mean, look, if if it is presents itself as an option, absolutely, 100%. I think the know. problem is, is, like, I think he's more like a second pair of guy these days, and you already have Ristolainen in there. Oh. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, another thing is that I, I was talking to one of my sources yesterday, and we brought up Ristolainen. And he interestingly told me, he's just like, if you want to know how much of an impact Ristolainen had for mm-hmm. us this year, just look at how much Travis Sanheim improved. Yeah. And is that something that you like equate to? Yes. I listen. <laughs> I know this is a very touchy subject for a lot of people. It's the, you know, analytic VI test you know, square off battle here, the Sanheim Ristolainen pair and all the analytic guys hate Ristolainen and all of that. Well, most of the eye test guys hate Sanheim. Um, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Sanheim played the best hockey of his career when he's next to Ristolainen. And, you know, I listen, I don't think Ristolainen is, you know, Shea Weber, or, you know, anything fucking crazy like that, but he's not nearly as bad 
as people like to make it out. He has his moments. He absolutely does. But so does every fucking defenseman. You know, everyone's going to make boneheaded moves now and again. And it's just a matter of those people dunking on him when he does make those mistakes. But I think more often than not, Ristolainen was a, a very good, serviceable pair of hands last season. And... You know, they obviously signed him to a contract, which everyone freaked out about. I don't hate the contract itself. I more hate the situation that they worked themselves into because you don't have Ellis and now you're stuck with Ristolainen kind of on the second pair with, you know, he really can't play higher up in the lineup, so you need to find a top guy. But yes, I, I think Ristolainen was very good last year, much better than most people will give him credit for. And I don't find that, you know, that pair, for most of the season, the Santa Ristolainen pair was fucking great. You and know. that's that's what I don't understand is that like there's enough things to bitch about than things that actually work well. <laughs> yeah. And like, look, you're not a Travis Sanheim fan, but I even saw you sometimes last year, like almost defending Travis Sanheim when people were getting like just freaking I'm out. I'm a fair man. When a player does something right, I'll let you know. And for the most part, Sanheim looked very good last year, especially towards the middle of the end of the year. You know, he still has his fucking brain farts defensively, but he if he's going to make himself useful as an offensive defenseman and actually play that role, then I've got no problem with him. And I think he was at least relatively mediocre on the blue line last year. Like, I think his defensive ability was way above terrible, which it usually is. You know, it, it definitely, whatever the chemistry is there between those two, it worked out really, really well. And that pair was by far like the bright spot of the entire season last year. Yeah, and I think that the Flyers, like, guys like Ristolainen, guys like McEwen, like, they brought an element that I think that they lack, and, like, I, I think they're going to re-sign McEwen one way or another. And, you know, Ristolainen, obviously, what goes on with the contract, the role he plays, I know it goes way beyond, like, it's he's not in the same boat as Zach McEwen. But I just, I don't know, I... I it worked for me last year. I don't think the contract is all that bad. I saw some people saying it's going to be worse than the Andrew McDonald contract. I thought that was... <laughs> I, I think that's a bit ridiculous. But I also have people telling me that Ivan Provorov isn't a top-pairing defenseman. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's Zach definitely... Zach be... only 25. God, I thought he was, like, 40. Yeah, with that mustache. Yeah, he looks he looks so much. He's twenty five. He's an RFA too. I thought he was fuck. I didn't know he was this young and a restricted free agent. Lifetime contract. Bring him back. Yeah, he was good stuff. I like Zach McEwen. It's funny. I tweeted yesterday that I, I I've, I'm hearing that he's most likely going to be brought. back. I'm sure your mentions were just delightful. Well, I I muted them, but Atkinson <laughs> actually liked my tweet. Funny enough. Wow. So it just goes to show you uh, how. Um, how popular he is. Yeah, I, I, I would take him back. He's a you know, fourth liner, 13th forward kind of guy. There's no fault yeah. in having Zach McEwen around. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, is like if Allison could ever get healthy, Which you he know, <laughs> McEwen goes as your 13th forward. Yeah. Not a big deal. I would assume well, Allison's good to go to start the season. I would hope so. He's an important guy. I think they need him on this team. He was he was fine for the last couple months of the AHL year, and at the time I was told that he was going to stay down there for conditioning, and 
at first it's kind of like this guy's got so much fucking energy what do you mean conditioning but as the season you know once he got healthy and was back for all of march and april by the time like middle of april rolled around it's like okay like he's definitely a step behind conditioning wise um so i think he's an absolute firecracker out there and will provide a lot of stuff that the flyers are looking for he checks so many goddamn boxes i'm not overly concerned about the injuries i know that's a very you know talked about thing but i think he only was injured twice last year he had the ankle sprain, which kept him out for, you know, most of the fall. And I, he had some kind of broken bone or something or after Christmas, whatever the hell it was. I don't remember what the hell the second injury was, but he didn't miss any time with the Phantoms. He almost got his hand cut off, which he missed a game for. And he had a back tightness, which he missed one game for, but he was fine after that. So he played the last two months of the regular season. So the, he's injury prone, you know, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think he just dealt with two very serious injuries last year that, provided they don't play him in a fucking rookie game going into uh, this offseason, I think he'll be fine to start the year. And I don't see a reason why this guy is not in the NHL to start the season. He's just, he's so goddamn electric. And I think once he plays in front of an NHL crowd and people see him you know, you can observe him, and as a phantom season ticket holder, you get to just kind of watch the guy, you know, between shifts, between plays, uh, waiting for the face-offs, and just, he's so fucking, he's an electric human being, and uh, I think that's the kind of energy that this team desperately, desperately, desperately lacks right now, so I I, I cannot wait for Wade Allison to be a full-time NHLer. Yeah, I agree, and I think that when next time we meet up here to talk about it, we're going to have a lot more things to talk about. Yeah, um, what the hell is it today? Friday the 1st, so I'm not sure what the schedule looks like, everyone. Um, I assume Shane's back on Monday. I do have a frequent flyer recorded. That may go up Sunday and then Shane on Monday. Um, we'll have some kind of coverage Thursday night with somebody. I'll figure that out later. I think Friday will be... A new frequent flyer, the 8th. Um, and then I believe free agency starts the 13th. So going to be a whole lot of stuff to cover over the next uh, couple weeks. We're finally getting to that goddamn point where things are going to happen. And uh, for the Flyers, hopefully hopefully a lot of things happen. And we can sit here and be very happy and talk about how great this team is rather than ready to fucking kill myself because JVR still in this roster. So <laughs> we shall see everyone. But um, at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Adamarco25. All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good nights. Mm-hmm.